Well, good morning, friends. It is so good to be with everyone this morning. And I love that when I say everyone, I literally mean everyone. Take a look around for a second, if you would, just around the sanctuary. Uh, This church, this is West Falls Community Church, the entire church, uh, together in one space at one time, uh, worshiping, singing, praying, communion, all of these things together. This is the Lord intended it. To be. I love that. These, uh, this sacrifice, this act right here of us being together, and, and we're going to do this moving forward for a long, long time. Uh, this helps us to, to be that real community that Jesus calls us to be. More than that, it, it helps us to be a living witness to the community. Because if you think about it, nowhere in this world, even in most churches, do you see every age, life stage, temperament, personality, uh, music preference, all of them coming together in genuine unity. It's only possible in Christ, right? In him, there is no longer slave nor free, older, young, early riser, latecomer, choral singer, band member. There's only one. There's one in Christ. And church, we're living that out. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Your love for everything that we do in this service is secondary to your love for everyone in this service. See, that's what it means to be a Christian. It's a high calling to put aside differences and personal preferences so that you see, know, encourage, build up, sing to, and love other people. And that's what we're doing in this place. And God is so blessed by this, and I hope that you will be as well. Hey, in addition to being excited about the one service, I'm really excited about a team of 50 folks who are heading out to Mexico this week. Would those of you taking that trip to Mexico uh, stand up for me, wherever you might be sitting right now. Stand up so we can recognize you and then pray over you. We're excited. We've got a handful of folks here with us. We've got a large group going down to Mexico, though, for five or six days. Uh, They're going to be heading down and serving those to the ends of the earth. Let me pray over this team uh, and their efforts and work uh, this coming up week. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to love others. And that could be the person in the room next to us. That could be the person next door to us, God. That could be the person across the street, across town, or across the globe. Your love extends that far, and we want our love to extend that far as well. So bless this team. Strengthen their spirits and their hearts. Help them to be just like Jesus in all they say and do this week. Um, Help their ministry and their work to go so well. Give them success. Grant them favor, God, with the building efforts, VBS, personal ministry, Lord, handing out of supplies. May it all be for your glory. May you bless and encourage many, many people in Mexico through their efforts, and would you bless and encourage our team as well. Protect them. Keep them safe. Use them to do incredible good this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Excited for you guys. Thank you for, for heading out and doing that. Hey, we're currently in a sermon series here at West Bowles entitled Real Faith, Real Life. In this series, we are studying the book of James together. Uh, James, who wrote the book, is actually uh, the brother of Jesus. And this guy doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't mince words. In this letter, he talks bluntly about the difference between those who profess to have faith and those who actually possess faith. The whole book is about the difference between fakes and phonies and those who have the real thing. Let me see if I can explain it to you a different way. How many of you have ever seen a cashier hold up a $100 bill to the light? Anybody ever have that experience? We don't really carry cash, and those of us who do, it's like $1 bill, right? You don't got to check that. But a $100 bill, it looks kind of weird, but federally printed money, especially larger bills, it has watermarks on it. Marks you cannot see unless you backlight 
the bill itself. So the cashier and holding it up is making sure your money's legit, making sure it's the real thing, that it's not counterfeit. And James, in this book, is doing the same thing with our faith. He's holding it up to the light to see if you have the real thing. Chapter 1 tells us that if we endure trials with joy, if we believe deep in our heart that God is bringing about our best, even when we have to walk through life's worst, we got the real thing. Chapter 1 also tells us if we stand firm against temptations, if we don't fall prey to the lies and the lures of sin, but if we believe again deep in our heart that God is the only one who can bring about the good life that we also desperately desire, if we believe that and stand strong in temptation, we've got the real thing. Chapter 2, which Pastor Nathan did a great job of walking us through the last couple of weeks, tells us if we don't show favoritism, if we don't give preferential treatment to certain people and disregard other people, if we put our faith into practice through sacrificial acts of service, if we do those things, then we've got the real thing. And today in chapter 3, we're going to learn that our speech and all the things that come out of our mouth, that's also a test of legitimacy. It also shows us whether or not we have the real thing. Not sure if you know this or not, but one-fifth of our life, according to recent studies, is spent talking. One-fifth. And for loudmouth guys like myself, that number is probably even higher. One-fifth of your life spent talking. So it makes sense that the Lord would care deeply about what we do with and what we say in that one-fifth of our life. James chapter 3. If you have a Bible, open it there. If not, follow on the screen. Not many of you should become teachers, oh great, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. I told you he didn't mince words. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Let's walk through this together. According to James, the most powerful part of our body is not our fist. Although with this, some can bust through a wall, punch through a brick. I like to think I have the same power when I type really hard on my computer. It's like, yeah, did you see that? Mm. Enter. According to James, the most powerful part of our body is not our femur, one of the bones in our lower leg. This is the strongest bone in our entire body. And with it, it holds up the entire weight of our upper body, which for some of us is a really huge feat. Okay, yeah, that didn't go over well. According to James, the most powerful part of our body 
is not the masseter. This is a muscle in your jaw. It helps you to chew your food. Scientists claim that this little muscle, pound for pound, exerts more force than any other muscle in your entire body. Rub your cheek right here just for a second. Yeah, when you eat an old piece of Halloween candy, you're going to appreciate that muscle a lot more. Now, according to James, the most powerful part of our body is by far the tongue. Because our tongue, oh, it has unmatched, unequaled, unparalleled impact and influence. From the praise of a coach to the rebuke of a parent, from the compliment of a spouse to the criticism of a boss. We all know, we've all experienced firsthand the power of people's words. I mean, words can cause a grown man to jump up in exaltation and it can cause that same man to crumple on the ground in tears. Words can heal an open wound and it can also cause a deep wound that never heals. Words can bring a family together or it can result in estrangement for years. Words can steer, guide, and influence things in a way that nothing else in our life and no other part of our body can do. That's why James compares the tongue to three things, three things that are small in size but that have so much sway. He says our tongue is like that small bit that you put in the mouth of a horse with that one little tool you can control and steer an animal that is so much stronger than you are. He compares our tongue to the small rudder on the back of a huge ship with that one little thing you can control a vessel in the open sea even though the wind is pounding against it. That rudder directs and steers it. And finally he compares our tongue to a tiny spark. One little spark that ends up being the catalyst for a wildfire that destroys thousands upon thousands of acres. Like those three things, our tongue might be minuscule, oh, but it is so mighty. And the power of words, it shouldn't come as a shock to those of us who know the Bible, those of us who have been in church for any length of time. The power of words comes directly from the Lord. Right? It was God who in and through his words let there be light created the world. God taught us about himself in and through words. We call it the Bible. God sustains our spirits. He says, man does not live on bread alone, but what? On every word that comes from the mouth of God. We connect to our Father in and through words. We call it prayer. We bless the Father's heart. He blesses and speaks to our heart in and through words. We call it worship. Words are so meaningful, so important, and being made in God's image means, along with a bunch of other things, that our words have unequaled power. Like God, our words matter because our words form and fashion things. They create and construct. They impart and infuse. The weight of our words cannot be overstated. I love how Solomon put it, Proverbs 18, 28. The tongue has the power of life or death. The tongue, this, this little thing right here, this thing has the power of life and death. With your tongue, you can lift somebody's spirits to the highest heavens. And with your tongue, you can drag somebody down to the very pit of hell. All with your tongue. And according to James, the problem is 
we have a propensity. We have a propensity to speak words of death. We have a propensity to speak words that are evil and that are destructive and that bring people down. From what we say to our kids, to our spouse, from a coworker to an enemy, a lot of us speak a lot of death. See, James knows the tongue can be used for incredible good. He lived with Jesus, but he also knows the tongue can be used for incredible evil. Might sound extreme, but here's how James says it. The tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, it sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and itself is set on fire by hell. Maybe James, he's penning these words, maybe James is thinking back to the words of Judas. Maybe as he's penning these words, he's thinking back to the words of the accusers and those who sentenced his brother to death. Maybe he's thinking of the words of those who were mocking his brother as he hung on the cross. Maybe he's thinking of his own words where early in Jesus' ministry, him and his mom bashed his brother. He said, stop doing that. Come back home. Maybe he just had in mind the words of the Facebook of the day or the evening news of the day because the words were just nasty and negative. But he had certain words in mind, and so he tells us, you got to watch your words. A man was uh, working in the produce department at a local grocery store one day when an old lady uh, asked if she could buy half a head of lettuce. Half a head, the guy replied. Are you joking right now? God grows these things in whole heads, and so that's how we sell them. Well, the woman was taken aback. My, 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 she said. After all the years that I've shopped here, I can't believe you won't sell me half a head of lettuce. Go ask the manager if he will help me. So the young man marched to the manager's office. You won't believe this, he said. There's a gray-haired idiot of a lady back there who wants to know if she can buy half a head of lettuce. The manager gave the employee a look that indicated the gray-haired idiot was standing right behind him, to which the produce guy said, and this lovely saint would like to buy the other half. <laughs> See, we can deny it all we want, but our tongue typically gets us into trouble. Does it not? I imagine we've all heard the saying, it goes something like this, sticks and stones may break my bones, but say it with me, words will never hurt me. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but a recent study by pediatrics.org says otherwise. According to the study, when doctors speak rudely to their staff, the accuracy and performance of the entire thing suffers, and pretty severely. Medical teams that are exposed to nasty comments by overseeing physicians like rudeness or vulgarity or sarcasm actually demonstrated poorer diagnostic and procedural performances than those who did not. So the cliche should sound something like this. Sticks and stones may break my bones and angry words from my doctor will kill me. <laughs> but you don't need this study to realize how hurtful and painful words can be. You are not nearly as pretty as the other girls. You are not good enough to make this team. Why can't you be more like your sister? You remind me of your deadbeat dad. I don't love you anymore. I want out. You're not a good parent. Your kids are little brats. I wish I never met you or ever gave birth to you. You know these words? They're they are not just words. Sticks and stones, words will never hurt me. 
Whoever said that was deaf. Because words are not just words, they're like daggers. Daggers that go straight into your back. They hurt so bad. They cripple and they paralyze us. Take a look at the list of words on the screen. In all truthfulness, how many of these words come out of your mouth or just go through your head on a regular basis? Complaint-filled words. Well, I don't like this or that. Cocky words. I'm so good at this or that. Curse words. Well, F-bomb this or that. Careless words. Blah, 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 blah about this or that. Critical words, if only you weren't like this or that. Condemnatory words, I hate this or that. Chatter-filled words, did you hear about this or that? Cynical words, well, good luck with this or that. You with me? And anyone struggle saying these things? James would say, y'all better raise your hands. Everybody needs to have their hands up, both hands up, because if the average person could no longer say these things, we'd all be mute. That's like all we say. These negative, nasty words tend to dominate our vocabulary. And James has a little fun in here, a little tongue-in-cheek. When he goes on, he says this, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, they've been tamed by, by humans Mankind, nobody in mankind can tame the tongue. What he's saying here is we figured out how to tame a killer whale at SeaWorld. We can have an elephant stand up on a ball. I can ride on its back. I can put my face in the head of a tiger. We can tame all the wild beasts, but I can't contain my tongue. But I can't figure out how to stop this thing from doing all kinds of bad things. It's harder to tame this, this thing. It's harder than all those other feats combined, James says. Evan Williams, who's one of the founders of Twitter, recently said this. I think the internet's broken, and it's not your connection. I once thought if everybody could speak freely and exchange information and ideas, the world would automatically be a better place. Well, I was wrong about that. Because people's words are mean and ugly and full of hate. And that's because people, James says, knowingly and unknowingly allow their words and their tongue to be shaped by Satan more than by the Spirit of God. And I wish that Christians were immune to all of this, but that's about as far from the truth as we can get. James says it this way, with the tongue, we believers praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings. We've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. In the same breath, James says, people say things like this, praise God. And don't you just hate those NFL dirtbags who won't stand for the national anthem? In the same breath, friend, I'll be praying for you. And hours later, when in different company, you've got to hear what so-and-so is going through. In the same breath, thank you, Father, for being so kind with me, so patient, so good to me. And later on that morning, when you're at lunch to your waitress or to your kids or to your spouse, can't you just figure it out? With the same breath, with the same tongue, we say the same things. We have a problem, and it's going to continue to be a problem until we understand the heart of the problem, which James says is actually in our heart. Look at how James, uh, or Jesus puts it, I should say. Luke 6, 45. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
Say that with me. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus is telling us like an echocardiogram at the hospital, your words actually reveal the, the, the health of your heart, the true condition of your heart. In other words, there's a direct correlation between what's coming out up here and what, and what is happening deep in here. And I'm not talking about what you had for dinner last night, okay? The words you say say a lot about you. The words you say say a lot about you. If nothing good is coming out of your mouth, then we can assume there's not a whole lot of good happening deep in your heart. If your words are ugly, bitter, resentful, ungrateful, ignorant, mean, then James would say that's, that's the condition of your heart. Jesus would say that's the condition of your heart. James says it this way, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Here's what he's saying. Fig trees produce figs. Light bulb moment. Grapevines produce grapes. Amazing. Salt water is salty. Fresh water is fresh. What he's saying here is, what is deep within will come out of your mouth. A cold Calloused, critical heart will produce cold, calloused, critical words. To change our words, then, we need God to change our heart. We need him to give us a heart transplant. We need him to remove that heart that is, that is hurt, that heart that is cold, that heart that is calloused, that heart that is sinful. Remove it, the one that criticizes, the one that condemns, the one that curses. Remove that heart, Lord, and replace it with one that has been radically altered by grace. The one that is loved, right? The heart that knows it is loved unconditionally. The heart that hears a blessing and affirmation over itself. The, the heart that knows heaven awaits. That's something only God can do. Do you know how many people have ever given themselves a heart transplant, physical heart transplant? Zero. The same is true in the spiritual realm. You can't do this on your own. Now I'm all for trying to stop cursing and, and being nice and I'm all for that 40 day challenge where you don't say anything critical or you don't complain, I'm all for that. But the problem is deep within our hearts and we need God to give us a heart transplant. We need someone to supernaturally take what comes naturally and remove it and replace it and make it so much better. And I love that God, guess what? He's actually promised to do it, Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and I'll give you a tender, responsive heart, a heart of flesh, some translations say. I will do this, God says. So what we need to do, church, is fall on our knees and ask God to change our heart. Some of us need to change our language, and I get that. Some of us need to change what we say to people. I get that. You know what we really need? is a change of heart. We need a change deep within our heart. Remove, God, whatever is evil or sinful or stone cold or even demonic that's deep in my heart and replace it with that, that which is good. Breathe into me the breath of life, God, so that I can speak life into others. And when that happens, when God takes a hold of your heart, you're not going to have to worry about what you're saying. You're not going to have to worry about the words coming out of your mouth. It's just going to happen naturally. 
And I'm not saying there's not going to be a slip up or a mess up from time to time. Being in dead last place in my fantasy football league makes me want to curse. And James says, listen, if, no, if, if you, were, if you did, never said anything wrong, you'd be a saint. You'd be perfect. I'm not a pastor, or I'm a pastor, I'm not a saint. Okay? But I think a new nature, a new heart, would result in a lot of new words. A lot of life-filled good words. In fact, that's the litmus test. That's what James goes on to say. How will we know if God is taking control of our hearts? If God has done this heart transplant deep within us? Verses 13, 17, and 18 say this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. See, the wisdom that comes from heaven. When when God is at work, this is what you will see. Purity, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial. It's sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So if you want to know if your heart is controlled by God or Gehenna, heaven or hell, James says, just see if your words are like this. See if they're pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, full of good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Those things are only said by one who has the heart of God. This list right here, doesn't it look so drastically different than this list right here? One list brings people closer to heaven. The other list drags them down to hell. One list breaks people down. The other builds them up. One list is full of worthless words. The other is filled with worshipful words. Two quick stories, and then we'll enter into another time of worship. One pastor I follow uh, told the story of being called a spaz when he was a little boy. He was about 10 or 12, and he was super hyper and excited. And he wanted to make friends with all those other guys. He wanted to be part of the cool crowd, and he acted up, and he acted out. And his friends said, Chandler, you're such a freaking spaz. And that words, those words hit him so hard. Fast forward 20 years, this man still, out of a hurt heart, yells at his own son when he acts up or acts the fool because he doesn't want his, his own son to be a spaz. He doesn't want anyone to ever call his own son a spaz. His wounded heart now wounds others, and he admits to it. Another guy talked about being the stereotypical jock in high school, right? The guy who focuses only on sports and not his studies. Well, this guy never got good grades. He assumed he actually couldn't get good grades. But one day in college, freshman year, in a philosophy class of all classes, he speaks up, and he, he actually gives an argument for the existence of God. The entire class, a 200-person auditorium, begins laughing and sneering at him. And the professor, a non-believer, mind you, interrupts and says, Stop. Class, you need to listen to Frank. Because Frank is no fool. Frank is no fool. Those words changed that man's life. It sent him down a path where he went deep into the studies, deep into the scripture. He now has a ministry, this intellectual, philosophical ministry that leads thousands of people to the Lord. Why? Because someone said, Frank, you're no fool. Words matter, do they not? They matter so much. I'm gonna invite the band to come on back up because I want us to speak words, words of life together now as a church. 
I mean, words can literally alter an entire situation. It can change a person's entire trajectory. Your words are either wounding others or they're a form of worship before the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I want what comes out here to be reflective of what God, I I hope and pray, is doing in here. I want my words to match that. I want want it to show the world that. So we're going to spend the next 10, 15 minutes in worship. And we're going to offer to the Lord words of life. And we're going to offer to one another words of life. During this time, we're also going to take uh, communion together. As you'll notice, it's set up at six different stations here in the sanctuary. There's also some uh, up in the balcony. During the next few minutes, make your way to one of those stations at any point, at any point, either early on or, or towards the end. It's up to you. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to allow this meal to be a time where you confess to letting a cold, calloused heart spit out cold, calloused words. Just say, Lord, I've said some things, and I'm sorry. Allow this meal to be a time where these two elements, the bread representing Jesus' body and the juice representing his blood, allow this meal to be a time where you hear God's voice and God's words over your life. You're my child. I love you. I died for you. And I'm preparing a place for you. Allow this meal to be a time where you ask the Lord to give you a heart transplant. Change me, God, from the inside out. Make me more like you. That's our hope and prayer during the next few minutes. Let me pray over us and we'll enter into that time. God, you're an incredible God. And we see throughout your story and your word that your words carry so much weight. They brought about the entire cosmos, God. Each of us was born the moment you said, Thomas, now, now you come. We are sustained through your words. We learn more about you through your words. We talk to you through words. We, we sing to you through words. Your words mean so much. Our words mean so much, God. And I pray that each of us this morning is convicted in some way, God, about, about how our words are shaping others and whether or not our words are bringing life or death. So speak to us now, God. Breathe afresh and anew into our heart that we might speak afresh and anew to our kids and our spouse and our parents and our in-laws and our neighbors and our coworkers, those who drive us bonkers. Would we speak afresh and anew? Would we speak life over them, God? Because that's what you speak over us. We hope that we hear your words now in and through communion. Bless this time. Bless the offering and the worship that we make to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.